when I saw it this morning, I began to weep, like literally began to cry because it was so heart-wrenching to watch. These people flung themselves from how many hundreds of feet up because they thought that was a better option. And the reaction of seeing a plane fly into a building. 15 years ago this morning, right around this time actually, I, uh, I remember where I was and probably many of you can remember exactly where you were that, that day uh, when you had heard that a plane had flown into the World Trade Center and then a second one just a few minutes later. A horrible, horrible day. Um, but if, 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 you think, if you think about it, the nature of conflict, right? And, and why some people decide to do some things and why some people choose to fly planes into buildings and why some people choose uh, to set bombs off and why some people choose to murder and some people choose to hate and, and the nature of conflict, it's everywhere in our world, right? And so we, we began talking about this a little bit last week, how, how there is this conflict within our, our world, but it doesn't end there, right? There's conflicts within our own community, right? If we think about the nature of, of Levittown and what's taking place all around us within our own community, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of unrest. Uh, but don't end there, right? Go, go in a, uh, another ring and go into our own households. And a lot of our own households aren't full of peace. And a lot of our own households are, are full of strife and full of conflict, whether it be marital conflict or children uh, with their parents or, or then go in uh, another ring further and you get the conflict of the heart, of the individual human heart. And we're all wrestling and we're all struggling and we're all feeling the tension of being in conflict with ourselves and the choices that we make and the sin in our own life. And conflict is everywhere. Is there peace in the world? How do we find it? How do we find peace? Does it even exist? Is it just this fanciful concept? I don't believe it is. And so we at Restoration Church are striving to bring peace to our community and, and to our households and to our individual human lives. We have this really simple vision at Restoration Church. It is a world restored through Jesus Christ. Now, that seems really lofty, but what I'm saying is that we have this little part of creation to impact right here in Levittown and Tullytown and Bristol and Fairless Hills and all the surrounding regions. We have this region, this little pact of God's creation to impact and to restore through Jesus Christ, that God would somehow use us as his restorative agent, that somehow God would use us to bring peace into the conflicts. And this comes about through intimate relationship with God. We talked about this a little bit last week. This peace comes about through intimate relationship with God, which really means to say that we are learning to know God more intimately, to be in relationship with him, to love him, and, and allow his love then through us to spill out over onto our communities. And we would know God, and in turn, we would make God known. And so we have this really simple mission statement, which we, we believe will accomplish this vision of peace, which is to know God, to be in intimate relationship with God, and to make him known through our love. This isn't just about facts about God, right? We're not trying to answer all the trivia questions that we possibly can about God and have all this, this head that's full of knowledge. We want to know God in intimate relationship and then to be in intimate relationship with others as we make him known. And so in order to accomplish this, we need some tools. We need some, some help along the way. And so our tools and our values, which we discussed last week, are a deepening love relationship. Deepening our love, deepening our, uh, our willingness and our ability to love sacrificially for the betterment of others. And then today we are going to discuss the importance of being in relationship 
with God and with others. And so our mission hangs on two commands, which is to love God and in turn love others. To know God, in other words, and to make him known. Love God, love others. Know God, make him known. It's really that simple. And so we are striving to foster three primary relationships here at Restoration Church. And we break this component of loving God and loving others uh, really simply. We want to be in intimate relationship with God, which is to love God. And we want to be in community with our church body with other Christians within our own community. We want to be in relationship with you, loving others, but then also we want to be an influence outside of the church walls. And so this is our loving others. We love God, we love others. We're in community with each other, and we are influencing the world around us, fostering these three primary relationships. God, other Christian believers, and then those outside our church. And our hope and our goal is to create contexts for the pursuit of greater intimacy with God, community within the church, and influence outside the church. And so we have this groups model, and Julie already uh, <clears throat> talked about this very uh, slightly. We have these groups models. We have these foyer environments which are to uh, help change people's minds about the church. Uh, that's like trunk or treat in our Easter. Actually, this Sunday morning is, is a foyer environment within the context of our of our group's model. And then living rooms are to help p- change people's minds about connecting, greater community uh, with those inside the church, and then the kitchen table environments where that intimate relationship takes place with one another as we are learning to change our priorities and to grow in our intimacy with God. Now, one of the ways that we are striving so hard to um, make these kitchen tables environments uh, happen this fall and to be relevant this fall is through community groups. And I'm going to invite my friend Jen and Josh up, and we are going to discuss a little bit about uh, community groups and their experience with being in community before. And so welcome, Josh and Jen, everybody. Uh, Josh and Jen are actually leading um, one of our community groups um, this fall. And so you guys have been in groups before, and so you know the value of being in a group. And so tell us a little bit about uh, that experience of being in a community group in the past. All right. Well, I'm going to kind of go back to my roots with everything because that's where uh, small groups kind of started with me. Um, I did not grow up in a a Christian household, um, completely lost as a child, um, and all throughout high school struggled with fitting in and um, kind of getting to know my place and pretty much anything a teenager struggles with I've been through in life um, mm. with different things so looking for the right answer never found it until another teenager um, running around in gym class of, you know we were doing our laps in gym class and you know one time in high school and saw me struggling and invited me to church with her so got plugged into church and you know sat through all the services got to know a lot of things um, but didn't I, I'm an extremely introverted person so I don't talk a whole lot or, or say much and you know, you sit through services and you get to know things, but I wasn't really connecting it all together. So I wasn't trying to, you know, put the pieces together. So while I was interested and curious, I didn't really understand what it all kind of meant um, until I started going to youth group there, and which was also fun and, and you learned a lot and we had great messages. But once again, it was so big, a lot of times it's easy to get lost with everything, um, especially by the more extroverted people like my husband here with me was in there, Um, you know, it just, it was easy to go through the motions and kind of get it, but um, not necessarily live it or or know. So um, the youth leader's wife started a little Bible study, um, a little small group with about seven of us girls that were like uh, junior, senior year of high school. And that's where I really felt a sense of belonging that I've never felt before. Um, And that's when all the pieces that I kind of learned at at church kind of started coming together. Um, and that's when I became a Christian, actually, through that small mm. group. So cool. um, it was 
a very interesting kind of turnaround with everything. So Awesome. So you, you weren't really connected, but you find a, a body of people who loved you and cared for you, and that is really what propelled your faith, which is really, really, really cool. Thank you for sharing that story. So powerful. Uh, so you guys are leading a group at Restoration Church. So thank you on behalf of myself and all the other people here. That'll be uh, part of this. But um, what are you guys looking most forward to uh, in, in leading a group here? Um, I think uh, for, for both of us, our heart with, with the idea of, of being in leadership of a small group is that we want to uh, help grow the community of our church. Uh, and, and inside of our small group, we don't want it just to be like us trying to teach other people. We want to we wanna walk with other people through this journey of who mm. God is mm-hmm. and, and, and really uh, understanding the Bible better together and understanding who Jesus is together so that we can yeah. really just grow uh, a deeper love of God and, and a deeper just understanding of how we can reach out to people around us. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. We're so excited for these to be launched. So you, you, guys see, you guys see the value and how lives can be changed even through being in a smaller, intimate community. And so these are groups of 6 to 16 people that meet in homes. You meet together for community and fellowship and prayer. You'll probably have some really good food uh, mixed in there as well uh, to discuss the previous week's sermon and then really to belong in a community that's going to propel your faith, just like Jen had mentioned. And so it is our hope and our desire that everybody finds a place within a community group that calls Restoration Church home that everybody can be in a smaller community where you are loved on and cared for. Uh, and so my encouragement is to come out on uh, September 25th at 6 p.m. There should be a slide. There we go. Uh, now, please note that this is not the ministry fair. In previous years, we've had like ministry fairs. We are going to be doing that on the 25th as well, but that is right after this service. And so you can get co- come and plugged in to uh, various ministries here. But then later that night at 6 p.m., my encouragement is for all of you all who wants to get plugged into a community group, come on out on September 25th at 6 p.m. and get plugged into one of those groups. And if you cannot make that, then there will be opportunities uh, the next week to get plugged into a group. But these are so important, and we'll be talking about these over the next couple weeks as well. But really, this is my focus this morning, is to convince you why this is so important. And so here's the thing. It was our dream that we would have a, uh, a, a community that is invested in community. A community of a church that is invested in community, that everybody would be in community and everybody would be creating community. That was really uh, our hope and that is our hope as a church. That there is a community of Jesus followers, see, men and women and children who are learning what it means to, to love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love their neighbor in, a, in an in environment and in a culture and in a world that this is getting increasingly more challenging to do. Loving everybody. Loving one another. And it's getting more confusing as to what that looks like. And so we are going to be struggling with what it means to love God and love others. And that was our dream, that everybody would be in a growing relationship with God and with others, helping others to engage in community and creating community through our community groups. And so this is a huge milestone in the life of our church. Huge milestone in the life of our church that we are beginning and launching these groups. And as valuable as this is, right, this experience that you come every Sunday morning, I hope it's valuable to you all and that you're growing in your faith. You need to know that sitting in rows, right, row after row after row, shoulder to shoulder, our hope is that every single person can get into a circle. You come and you sit in rows, but we want to get you into a circle because circles are better than rows. Circles are going to help you and your journey towards Christ more than a row will because there are things that can happen face to, ha- face to face that will never happen shoulder to shoulder. 
There are just things that will happen face-to-face that will never happen shoulder-to-shoulder. And we are committed to being a face-to-face church, not just a shoulder-to-shoulder church. And so community groups are so important. And so this morning, I want to provide you three reasons why I think that these community groups are important, that group life is important. The first one is simple. You were created for community. You were designed by a communal God to be in community with others. And so here's the thing. You may think that we are just biological, that we are just chemistry, that we are just a bunch of neurons firing. You may think that we're just skin and bones. And if you believe that, then you have every right to believe that. We are glad that you are here and that you are learning that there is another component to you, a spiritual component that needs to thrive. But here's the thing, because even if you believe that, have you ever felt lonely? Man, have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt alone? Because here's the thing, even, (laughs) and some of you may may have experienced this, even if you are in the presence and in the context of a lot of people, have you guys ever felt lonely before? I served tables for seven years, and I watched so many couples sit at a table in a room full of crowded people, and they had nothing to say to each other. And they just stood there, and they sat looking at their food, (laughs) eating it and picking at it, and they just looked lonely. They were together with other people. They were in a room full of other people, but they felt alone. And so we do not have intimacy, even if we were in the context of community. Intimacy is so important to being fully made in the image of God and fully becoming human. Intimacy, knowing another person with all of their junk and all of their struggles and all of their temptations, knowing another person, and likewise being known by that person with all of our struggles and all of our junk and all of our temptations, this is so important to being in true, intimate community. We are innately communal beings, in other words. And so what is our goal? To engage God and each other in true, intimate relationships with one another. And this can only happen in grace-filled, honest circles. Circles, communities, groups, smaller groups. Well, the second reason I think group life is important is because we have entropedic hearts. Now, I don't even know if this is a word, to be honest. I don't think it's a word. I just kind of made it up. Entropy is a word, though, and so entropy the cards. Entropy is a law in thermodynamics that states that everything is moving towards unrest. Everything is actually moving towards chaos. The natural movement of the human heart is towards chaos. And that's really what I'm trying to say, that we have entropy to cards. The natural movement of every single human heart is towards chaos. If it is good for us, guess what? We drift from it. If it is good for us, we run away from it. Exercise and diet, generosity, stewardship, healthy relationships. If we are not intentional in fostering these and developing these in our life, we will run away from it. We will move towards chaos. Another way of saying this is that we will drift. We will drift towards chaos. We all have this tendency to drift, and drifting is never good for us. It just isn't. Drifting is never good. And this goes with our relationship with God. Our relationship with God takes intentionality and discipline. Do you guys guys hear me on this? Your relationship with God takes intentionality and discipline. If we are not intentional with our relationship with God, we will drift because we have entropedic parts. Anybody ever experienced this before? You decide to take a little break from reading your word? You know, I'm just ah, too tired this morning. I'm not going to get into the word this morning. And then the next morning it's like, oh, you know, my alarm... Uh, it didn't go off for some reason, and you missed two days in a row, and all of a sudden you look back, and it's like, man, I haven't opened my Bible in like six weeks. What's up with that? Because we drift. We drift. If we are not intentional, intentional relationship with God, we will drift from it. 
And because the natural direction of our hearts is towards chaos in every area of our life that is important, we are swimming upstream. We're going against the grain. In every area of life that is important, we are swimming upstream. And so healthy marriages and healthy relationship with our kids and healthy relationship with your boss or your coworkers or healthy relationship with God takes intentionality. And these are all challenges because we are swimming upstream. We are going against the grain. We are going against the natural inclination of our hearts, which again is towards chaos. But here's what we know. Even though we are swimming upstream, we as humans being made in the image of communal God, we are not called to do this alone. We are not called to do this alone. And so I don't know if you guys have experienced the challenge of being in community, as it is challenging, right? Because you have to expose yourself and you have to uh, hear the exposure of others, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it, guys. And one of the reasons we are so focused on getting you into circles is because we are swimming against the stream. We're swimming against the current. We have not been called to swim alone. We have been called to swim together, called to swim together and to help each other along this journey. And so this is the power of community. We do not pursue healthy relationships alone. We pursue them together. And so the writer of the letter to the Hebrews put it this way. He said this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And so here's my question for you guys. Who in their right mind, having known the living God and his life and his joy and his love, who in their right mind would ever turn from the living God? I mean, guys, we we, we know the living God. We have his life. We know this. Who would knowingly Turn from the living God. God has called us to do right. Who would knowingly do wrong? Who in their right mind would ever do that? And the answer is, everybody, thank you. Everybody does this. We all do this, right? Who in their right mind would do this? Man, I in my right mind do this all the time. You guys do this all of the time. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying, see to it, see to it, brothers and sisters, Christians. He's writing to a Christian body of people. He recognizes that all of us have this capacity to turn from the living God, that all of us are called to forgive as God has forgiven, and yet we don't. Right? That, that all of us have called to be generous as God is generous, and yet we're not. That all of us have called to love one another unconditionally, just as God has called us to love unconditionally, and God loves unconditionally, and yet we still judge people. And we still only extend love when we think it's worth our while to do so. We do this all of the time. All of us have this capacity to turn away from the living God. And why do we do that? Why do we turn away from the living God? Why do so many people turn from God when they go off to college? You know, why do so many people abandon God when they go on business trips? Why do so many of us abandon God and turn away from the living God when we get into that circle of friends? Why do so many of us uh, turn away from the living God after 10 p.m. at night? Or when we enter into that building? Why do so many of us turn away from the living God when just we have this string of bad things happening to us? Why do so many of us do it when we have a lot of good things happening to us? Why do we turn away from the living God? You see, we all do this, but the solution is really, really simple, actually, and it's right here in this section of the verse. Notice this plea to not turn our backs on God. It is not an individual command. 
It's a communal command. He's talking to a community of people, imploring a community of people. This is a group command. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, plural, that none of you's guys right here in Philly, that none of you's guys turn away and have a sinful heart that turn away from the living God. He's saying community, community gathering here, all you brothers and sisters, you community, make sure that you're seeing to one another, that you're looking out for each other, that you're checking up on one another. This isn't about you looking in the mirror and your autonomous will saying, okay, Ross, don't turn away from the living God today. This is about you coming around me and me coming around you and say, hey, let us not together turn away from the living God. Let us spur one another on towards love. Let us not turn away from the living God. This is about you making sure your friend and your neighbor and your coworker and your community group does not turn away from the living God. It does not have an unbelieving heart because here's the thing. This is so important to understand. Please understand that the heart that turns away from the living God This is something that happens within us. The heart turning away from the living God happens within, and when we begin to turn away from God, the drift always begins with a temptation. And it always begins with a doubt, and it always begins with a question. It always begins with something that is so small, and it seems so insignificant, but nobody knows that I'm having this question, and nobody knows I'm having this doubt, and nobody knows that I've been tempted unless somebody has access to me. Nobody knows what's happening in my heart unless I let my heart out. And the access to me and the access to you and the making sure that someone is checking up on you, it's not going to happen in here. It's not going to happen in rows. It's not going to happen when you enter into this sanctuary. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, a drifting heart doesn't show in a row because rows don't know. A drifting heart doesn't show in a row because rows don't know, right? We're so good at walking in here, and we're so good at looking good, right, guys? I mean, you are a good-looking group of guys and girls, but hey, you know what? Rows don't show because rows don't know. We never see what's taking place in the minivan on the way here, right? I didn't see what happened in your house this morning. I didn't see the screaming match you had with your kids as he refused to eat his breakfast. I know it, right? I know what happened. I know what happened in my house. No, I, Emily does a phenomenal job every single Sunday. I come here at 5 a.m., and she, uh, she has the kids alone. But you know what? I can imagine what is taking place in our households. I know it. <laughs> I hear it. Amen. Preach it. <laughs> guys, see? I know. I know that there are conflicts that you guys are wrestling with in your households on Sunday morning. For some reason, the devil likes targeting Sunday mornings, right? Sunday mornings are a really, really hard time. And so you get in your minivan and your kids are all cute and they're all dressed up in their Sunday best and they're all coming to church and they're just screaming in the back seat because you know what? Your little sister looked at your younger, uh, her, her older brother the wrong way and so he slapped her on the face and said, don't look at me anymore. I know how that goes in our household. And then the older brother is screaming because he doesn't like conflict and he, you know, he's a peacemaker and so he's just screaming, shut up, please stop screaming at each other. And then your wife looks over and she's like, uh, are you going to do anything about this? And you're like, I'm driving the car, man. Give me some break here, right? I, mean, I know the conflict that happens. I know that it, what goes on in those minivans on our way to church. I know it's not easy. 
Ah, but then you get out of the car and you fix your hair because it's a little frazzled and you, you know, you, you, you make sure you button up your kid's dress and their shirts and you come on here and you're at church. Guys, we're in the rows, man. We got to put on our Sunday best. We got to be here, right? And nobody has to know. And then you go back out and you get that minivan where the doors are closed and the windows are up and you start your screaming match over again. Because we're at church. And nobody has to know at church. We're in rows and nobody knows because nobody knows in rows. And the only way anyone will know about your sinful, unbelieving, drifting heart is if you're in a circle with them and they have access to you. Because rows don't know, and that's why circles are more important than rows, and that is why we are emphasizing rows, uh, I'm sorry, circles so heavily here. Otherwise, we swim alone, and we struggle through life alone, and it's really, really challenging. So the text continues, but encourage one another. Encourage doesn't mean to puff up and, and, uh, and encourage them like the way, hey, man, you, you look so good today, or you're doing so great. It, it means to exhort, it means to appeal to, it means to urge strongly, or to beg and to implore. This word means I want you to be in each other's lives and to know what's going on in each other's lives so that nobody has to walk through life alone. And that when you detect that something is going askew in somebody's life, that you have access to it and you have the authority given by them to speak into it and to show up. And when their attitude begins to change and it goes sour, that you have the right to speak into their life and you have the right to say something. So that a wife or a husband never has to struggle alone. And a child never has to struggle alone. Or a teenager never has to struggle alone. But they are in a group of people who care about them. And so I want you to be in each other's lives in such a way that when someone begins to drift, when someone's heart begins to become unbelieving, that when something goes wrong in someone's life, that somebody notices and enters into it and speaks into it and reaches into it because you've given them permission to say something. So what's interesting is that because of its size, right, the first church, and uh, actually for the the first several hundred years of the church, this was the context that the church lived in, right? There were maybe 30 people gathering in a room, and and that size and that intimacy, they could have this kind of relationship with none. They could speak into each other's lives because of how small the communities were. But 150 years ago, when the mainstream church really began to increase in numbers, the church shifted towards rows. The church, by its very nature, was no longer just one big circle. It was just a bunch of rows, people sitting in the same direction, listening to someone babble, right? That's really what the church became. The idea of getting into a small groups and being part of a circle or a small group really then didn't become prevalent until about 30 years ago. So we have this 120-year gap where this became the norm for church. Sitting in rows, sitting in rows. This is what church became. And because Christianity was all about the row and all about church attendance, then no one had to know what was really going on in my life. And I could have my screaming match in the minivan and shut the door and walk into church and everything is great because I'm sitting in a row and nobody has to know in a row. And then I can go back to my screaming match when I leave and nobody has to know what's going on and I can put on the facade that I'm just wonderful Christian Example, and my life is great, and nobody has to know what's really going on behind the scene. Here's the thing. I think of the generation that came before me. I think of my parents and my aunts and my uncles who didn't have a small group walking with them through life, and 
And I think of all the struggles and the addictions and the hardships and the destructive choices that were made and they were kept secret. And I wonder how could their lives have been different if somebody would have spoken into their situation, if they would have allowed someone to have access to what was going on, if they had someone who loved them enough to speak into their destruction and as their hearts were turning away from God that they would have someone to say, hey, let me pull you back. I mean, think about, think about the people in your life. Think about yourself. There's struggles with temptation and trial that we could encourage one another. Or what if there was someone who, in, in my parents' life, who could have reached in and said, hey, you want, I've noticed. I've noticed. Or, or hey, you know, is, is everything all right? Ask a simple question. Or, hey, you know, we need to talk about that. Or, you know, I, you know, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. What's going on? Imagine the difference it would have made for so many of us and our parents who made destructive choices and our aunts and uncles and our friends who made destructive choices if someone would have spoken into their life and showed up in their life and they wouldn't have just come and just sat in a row, but they would have been invested in a circle, a circle of people who loved them and cared for them and spoke in. But the rose didn't know because rose don't show. And so the author of Hebrews continues, he says, but encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. See, everything is called today, right? Yesterday is gone, tomorrow hasn't happened. Every breath that we take is part of today. When we get to tomorrow, guess what? Tomorrow is going to be called today. Everything is today. He's basically saying encourage each other constantly, day after day, moment after moment, as long as there is life and breath in your lungs, encourage one another. Do it always, as long as you are alive, as long as people struggle with sin and temptation, encourage one another. Speak into their life. We need to be in each other's lives. Encourage one another. This is not a weekly thing. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just a gathering thing. It is a relational thing. And so grow in your relationship with one another that you are constantly speaking into each other's lives, encouraging each other as you have access to them and as they have given you access to them. And why do we do that? The text continues, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so if you were with us last week, remember we had this, uh, this tree with a bunch of fruit on it. You see, the problem of sin is not with the things that we do. It's not with the fruit of the tree. The problem with sin is that we are sinful. We have a nature that is rebellious towards God. We have a living, active nature that is rebellious towards God, and it resides in all of us, and it deceives us. You guys ever experience this? You guys ever experience how sin can just whisper in your ear and begin a deceptive process in you? You guys ever experience that? I might say something like, you know what? You deserve it. You deserve it. Or, hey, you know what? No one's looking. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? Nobody's actually looking. You know, no one's going to miss it. If you just take that, no one's going to miss it. They got plenty. Just take it. Or in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't that much money. Just put it in your pocket. Walk away. Nobody's going to know. You know, she's practically forced me to do this. You know, if I don't do this, then she'll never learn her lesson. Or if she would just treat me with more respect, then I wouldn't have to do this. Or if everyone knew what was actually going on, man, I could not live with myself. 
And so I'm going to keep it a secret. I'm going to shove it down. Because if people found out, I would be so ashamed and I'd be so embarrassed. You know, we talk ourselves into all sorts of destructive things, don't we? Convince ourselves to do all sorts of destructive things. We travel down so many destructive paths. And the best defense against self-deceit is not the self. I'm telling you guys, you can't convince yourself out of self-deceit. The best defense against self-deceit is we. It is we. It is we. And so we is the best defense against the deceitfulness of you. The community is the best defense against the deceitfulness of the human heart. And so what are you telling yourself these days that is the seed of turning from God? What messages are going on in your mind that are saying, hey, turn away from the living God? What messages are being spoken into your mind that says it doesn't matter, turn away from the living God? And if you were to tell somebody what was actually going on in your mind, what was actually going on in your heart, they would think that you were crazy. What's going on? What's going on? You see, most of us don't tell anybody what we tell ourselves. <laughs> right? Most of us don't tell anybody what we tell ourselves. But if we told them, then they'd say, Ross, you have lost your freaking mind, is what they'd say. Why are you doing that? Why are you believing that? If I told people what was really going on in my heart, what was really going on in my mind, you would say, why are you believing that? You've lost your mind. And the reason we don't is because we do not want to be judged, right? I don't want your judgment. I don't want your shame. I feel guilty enough for the things that I do. And so I'm going to keep it hidden, and I'm going to keep it concealed, because if I expose it, then I'm just going to feel more guilty and more bad about myself. Our hearts and our minds are locked up. Because if we were honest with our communities and honest with God, then I would feel shame. And I would feel guilt. But what if there was a God who loved you? What if there was a God who loved you, even with your junk and even with your struggle and even with everything that is going on in your life? What if there was a God who loved you? Can you guys imagine that? What if there was a community who embraced you even with your junk and even with your struggle and they embraced you and they say, I have been met with grace from God, so let me extend grace to you. I have been met with mercy. I have been met with forgiveness. Let me extend these same qualities to you and let, help, let me help you discover the love of God. What if there was a community that you could be honest with? What if there was a grace-filled community who you could be honest with? And what if you could get it out in front of others whom you trust and you believe want to push you towards God? What if you could get it out in front of them? It may sound crazy, but you know what? They may keep you from insanity. What you say might sound crazy, but they could keep you from destruction. What you say may sound crazy, but they could keep you from chaos. And don't you wish that the generation who didn't have this opportunity 30 plus years ago, who only sat in rows, our fathers and our mothers and our older siblings, maybe some of us sitting in this room, who didn't have that opportunity, don't you wish that they would have had a community to speak into their life to pull them back from the brink of destruction? Don't we wish that we would have had a community of people to speak into our life to pull us back from all those bad habits we made? all those bad habits we had and all those poor decisions we made. This is the power of community. This is the power of circle. We keep each other 
from turning away from the living of God and falling into destruction. And so here's the point. The drift begins within. So we have to let someone in. And the drift begins in our hearts, so you let someone else in. It will keep you from something you're going to regret later, and it will help you keep from drifting. And so we have to come to share in Christ, the author continues. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original convictions firmly to the end. And so here's how you know that you are in Christ, he's saying. Here's how you know that you are in Christ. That you hang on to the original decision you've made when you first became a follower of Jesus. The drift begins within. It begins within our hearts, and it grows out there. It grows into our marriages, and it grows into our finances, and it grows into our belief systems, and our relationship with God. And if all of that goes unchecked, we will drift towards chaos. It will lead towards unbelief. That's what the author is saying. It will lead towards unbelief. And so one thing can lead to everything. One little thing can grow into something huge. One thing can undermine everything. And for some of you, you have decided, or when you decided to disconnect from your marriage, or you decided to make an unwise financial decision, or you decided to become an atheist, it wasn't just one thing that, that did that. It was a series of little tiny things. It was one thing that turned into something, and it was that something that turned into a lot of things. And, you know, you didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I just don't love my wife anymore. I think I'm going to go get divorced. You didn't wake up one morning and say, yeah, I think I'm just going to blow up my bank account and become bankrupt. You didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I just, I don't believe in God anymore. It was one little thing, one temptation, one question, one doubt that grew into one other thing that led into a snowball effect. And all of a sudden you get to the point where you say, I just don't love my wife anymore. I think I'm going to get a divorce. It began with a doubt. It began with a temptation. It began with a question. It was like, you know, I, I, uh, I met this new girl at work, and she laughed at my joke. And then you go home, and it's like all your wife does is, is tell you to clean up after yourself. And then you went back to work, and you know what? She put her hand on my shoulder as she was asking me a question. And then you go back home, and all your wife seems to do is bicker and resent you. She complained that you didn't fill the car up with gas. And then I went back to work, and this girl confided in me, and she trusted me. And then you went home, and your wife hadn't cleaned up lunch for that day. And then you begin to resent her. And then you go back to work, and so on and so on. It begins with something so small, and it leads into something so big. Or it was, you know what, I was at the store, and the sign said 40% off, and, and I didn't really need new clothes, but it was, the deal was just too good, and so I guess I'll just pay that $300 debt off, ship it away at it next month. And you get that next month, and, and all you can cover is its minimum balance on your credit card, which doesn't even cover the interest that you have to pay on it. And so you'll be paying off, you know, these, these clothes that you purchased for the next five years of your life. And you pile that onto all the other purchases you made, and you're like, I can't get out of this financial ruin that I've caused. It started with one thing, and it grows into something big. Or it was, you know, I, I neglected to read my Bible over the weekend, and on Monday I was too tired, and Tuesday my favorite show was on, and on Wednesday my kids had activities, and, and eventually you look back and you realize that it's been three months. Yeah, it's been three months since I cracked open the Word, and you begin to lose your footing, and then a friend at work begins to question a few things, and you've lost your footing. You don't have any response to his questions. And then slowly but surely over the next coming years, you still haven't cracked your Bible, you haven't engaged in the Christian community, and you're like, I just don't know if I believe anymore. 
One thing leads into something big. It starts with the smallest thing, and before you know it, it's impacted everything. And so you must hang on to your original conviction. And the way you hang on to your original conviction is to follow Jesus, to, to follow Jesus is not allowing yourself to be tricked by sin's deceitfulness. And the way you keep yourself from sin's defe- deceitfulness is by having encouragers in your life to pull you back and to speak into your life. To be in community, in other words, because one little thing can undermine everything. And if you do not allow people to have access into your life, one little thing, one little prick of the heart, one little question and temptation of your mind might lead to something huge. And it might lead to absolute destruction. And so if you don't intend on abandoning the whole thing, then you have to pay attention to the little things. And the way you pay attention to the little things is by allowing someone in, by being in community. And so this text could be written this way, perhaps. See to it one another. See to one another, I'm sorry, on a regular basis. Check up on one another on a regular basis so that none of you is tricked by sin and drifts away from the faith that has made such a difference in your life up until now. Circle up, in other words, circle up. Get into your circles, ask the important questions, dig into each other's lives, allow access into one another. Because if you are drifting and it seems like something is so small and it seems like so petty and it seems so insignificant, that thing may be the thing that eventually turns your heart from God. It may be little, it may seem little, it may seem insignificant, but it could turn into something massive if you do not pay attention to it and you do not let somebody in. It could cost you everything. We have entropedic hearts, and so we need to be in community. The last thing, very briefly, is that nobody knows in row. Nobody knows in a row. We've already discussed this a little bit, but beyond the drifting of our own heart, the reality is that with a church our size, and we're not a massive church by any means, like 250 people, with a church our size, if you are not connected, guess what? You might not be cared for. And that's just the reality of being in a church this size. If there is a medical concern that you have or a medical need that you have, if, if you lose your job or you have a, a real significant financial need, if, you get in a, um, if, if your marriage begins to fall apart or you have bills that you can't pay or you uh, enter into rehab because of an addiction, and it's been that way for several months, and, and, uh, and Emily and I are like, man, we had no idea that you've been struggling this, with this for three months. Because I can't keep track of 250 people. But if you're in a community who cares for you, guess what? When that financial ruin happens, and you let them in, and you give them access, and they can speak into your life, and you can be cared for. If you have that diagnosis that is heartbreaking and terrifying to you, guess what? If you're in a small group of people, then they will have access to care for you. If you're in financial ruin and you need help, they'll have access to care for you. Because nobody knows in a row. You come into this place and you're like, I'm just going to put the mask on. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick. Yeah, I've been diagnosed with this horrible illness. Yeah, I'd lost my job. Yeah, my marriage has fallen apart. But nobody knows in a row. And so this is our goal, that every person that calls this church their home would be in a community group. A small group, uh, a context so that we could speak into each other's lives and help each other and love each other, that we would grow in more intimate relationship with God together, but also with each other. That we would allow each other to speak into our lives because we have entropy hearts that are constantly drifting, and then you can pull me from the brink of destruction 
And that when something goes askew in my life, that I would have a community of people that I know love me and care for me that will help me through it. And so here are things. We were created for community. We have entropied hearts, and nobody knows in a row. And this is why we believe that you should get into a community group on September 25th here at a Restoration Church, 6 p.m. Put it on your calendar. Get into these small communities. Let us begin to love each other. Let us begin to learn who God is and his amazing love for us. And let us begin then to share that love with the world. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this community of people. A community of people that want to know you more intimately, Father, and become like you. But we need each other to help us. Because we have this sinful nature that is deceiving us, Father. And so I want a community of people to help me become more like you, Father. And I want to do the same for others. I want to pursue you. I want to be in intimate relationship with you. I want my relationship to grow, Father, with you. And I want a body of people that I can grow with as well. And so I pray that these community groups would be uh, successful, not just numerically, Father, that a lot of people would join, but that we can really become more like you because of our time in them. And so, Father, may you receive all the glory for all the good that is done through these and all the likeness, Father, that you spill out on us of yourself. May we learn to love you. May we learn to love others. And in that, Father, may peace be found within our hearts, within our households, and within our community. Amen.